Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. On today's episode, we wanted to continue our discussion on the doctrine of grace. The doctrine of grace. Ephesians 2.8.9 reminds us uh, what Paul wrote to the uh, church of Ephesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Uh, grace comes out of the uh, benevolence of God and his nature. He's afforded to us this unmerited favor, this uh, favor that we didn't work for, and this favor that, uh, to be honest, we don't deserve. But God, through his, his love, uh, through his benevolence, has afforded us the opportunity to be redeemed, uh, to be uh, satisfied in terms of appeasing him through his son, Jesus Christ. Through the blood, uh, we've been regenerated and we've been grafted in into God's family. And we are afforded the full benefits of being his sons and daughters. So in terms of grace, uh, on our last episode, uh, we talked about uh, God's institution of grace, the difference between the law of works versus the law of grace. Uh, the law of works is what Paul alludes to in Ephesians 2.89 when he says, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of works. That's the law of works. Uh, the, the law of works as interpreted by first century Jews in, in, in terms of this theological uh, belief that we can appease God by our human efforts, uh, by engaging in religiosity. Uh, in reality, um, the doctrines associated in the Muslim culture is based on the law of works. Uh, for them to make it to paradise, uh, they believe that in, in the Muslim culture that your good works must outweigh your bad works. And that's not Christianity. That's not the doctrine that Paul taught. Uh, the doctrine that Paul teaches uh, says that we're saved by grace, not of works, lest any man should boast. Meaning that if you can work your way into salvation, then you did it, not Jesus. If you uh, can perform your religious exercises to appease God, then you did it, not Jesus Christ. So we can't work for our salvation. But let me be clear. Christians do not work to be saved. But we work because we are saved. I'll say it again. Christians do not work to become saved, 
But because we are saved and we're thankful for God's grace and benevolence, we exercise our faith and do the work that God has assigned for us to do. So I hope that's clear. Uh, But the law of grace is a very important doctrine that all Christians must learn and embrace. There's the theological dimension to God's grace. The apostle Paul, he personally understood the nature of God's grace. He, he received something from God that the works of the law could not afford. Uh, Paul writes, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Galatians 2.21. And so that's what Paul is affirming. If righteousness came by the law of works, then Jesus' atonement is for nothing. It's nullified. It is due to God's unmerited favor that Saul became Paul. And it's through God's unmerited favor that we uh, came from where we came from. I always say when uh, believers say that I'm, uh, they use the term I'm saved or I'm a Christian, but especially when they use the term I'm saved. And my question to them is, you're saved from what to what? What have you been saved from and what has God delivered you to? There has to be a before and after in our Christianity. It's not enough for us to profess to be Christians, but yet our lifestyle, but yet uh, the way we conduct ourselves is inconsistent with us knowing Christ. That cannot be. So we are reminded that our lives have to be given over to God as a living sacrifice if we want to show our gratitude to God for his grace. We are the benefactors of God's grace. So it is due to God's unmerited favor. And Paul remembers this, that he became Paul and no longer Saul. Saul referenced our old ways. Saul is the indication of us living outside of God's will. And all believers uh, have a Saul perspective or Saul chapter. All of us came from somewhere. God delivered us from what we used to be to what we're to uh, who we are now. Uh, God has redeemed us when we were in a Saul like state. And I'm using that metaphorically when, when we were in our old ways, uh, when we were old creatures, as Paul uh, states sometimes, uh, we used to uh, be deceitful. We used to be greedy. We used to be gossipers. We used to be envious. We used to be foolish. We used to be agnostic. Uh, we used to be atheists. We used to be um, people that uh, were not easy to get along with. So God, through Christ, has delivered us. And now some of us, we look, we, we look holy, we speak holy, uh, we dress holy, and in many ways... We've forgotten where God delivered us from. But we can't afford to forget where God has brought us from. 
because that's what keeps us on our toes. That's what keeps us witnessing. That's what keeps us engaged in discipleship. That's what keeps us sharing the good news because of our gratitude toward what God has done for us, that grace that he's afforded to us. That's the theological dimension of God's grace. Uh, God has brought us from somewhere. It is due to his unmerited favor. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul became a great asset to the church. God delivered him from Saul. Now he's Paul. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul became a great asset to the church. I'm going to say that again. Moreover, it is through his lens that we're able to learn more about God's grace and how believers should respond to it. It's my contention that Paul's writing concerning this doctrine of grace was also intended to foster an attitude of gratitude. An attitude of gratitude. That's what we as believers ought to have. We ought to have an attitude of gratitude. So let's consider uh, the following passages as it relates to grace. In Romans 1.5, Paul shares with the Christians in Rome that through Jesus Christ, we have received grace. This means God has given us grace, which is God's unmerited favor. And we that are his children are the beneficiaries, the benefactors of his overture. Knowing that a loving God has extended his love, has extended his kindness, has extended his mercy toward us. And that should produce a gratitude in the life of the believer. God, you've done so much for me that my way of saying thank you is to be obedient. My way of saying thank you is to follow your ways. My way of saying thank you is to follow your mandate. My way of saying thank you is to live like Christ. So due to God's example, Christians are left without any excuse and extend mercy and compassion toward others. Doing so is an act of gratitude rooted in God's divine grace. Then I want us to think about the uh, greeting of grace. Uh, we find the use of the Greek word uh, charis, as we said before, often in Pauline epistolary. Colossians 4 and 18 as an example, or even 1 Timothy 1 and 2. Uh, the word grace is often found in Paul's introductions. In Romans 1 and 7, the noun grace is used as a nominative singular feminine. In this case, it is translated as kindness, goodwill, and gift. In short, Paul, in his introduction, uh, was uh, using this as, as the greeting to the Roman Christians uh, with kindness, hoping for their goodwill and gifting them with encouragement. God's grace is an act of uh, his altruistic kindness and goodwill, which should be emulated by every single Christian. This act of uh, displaying God's grace should promote our gratitude, as I've said before. This act of gratefulness uh, will be displayed through our worship and service toward others. God's grace compels us to emulate what he's showing us. We can't 
longer, no longer say, uh, well, this person will never change. God didn't give up on us, so we can't give up on other people. We can't ever say, this person is so far gone that they'll never come back. God reminds us the story of the prodigal son. God never gives up on, uh, on us. He's always pulling for us until uh, he says the time has come, until uh, we no longer have breath. God is pulling for us. So we cannot give up on other people. And then the people sometimes that we think will never come around actually are the ones who do come around. So we are asked, or rather we are commanded, to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we're commanded to go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever he's commanded us. And then he tells us uh, he's with us always. That not only is there a greeting of grace, we learn through Paul's writing that we're justified by grace. Justified by his grace. We're justified. So Paul links the grace of God to Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 3 verse 24, he informs us that believers are justified by the grace of Jesus Christ. Uh, The story of atonement is uh, emblematic of God's grace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only monogenous son, to die on the cross for all of humanity. This is a perfect example of grace. Uh, theologian Wayne House describes grace as goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. Uh, God's justice demanded punishment. However, through his son, we have received clemency. Christians are now in good standings with God, Titus 3 and 7. When believers reflect upon this sacrifice, they are compelled to extend or ought to be compelled to extend themselves to help other people. If God can give of himself to save us, then it is not impossible for those who have received his grace to display gratitude by being obedient to his precepts. So just like our father, who have set the example for us by giving the best gift anyone can ever give, we have to extend ourselves and give our best efforts when we are dealing with other people, when we're trying to live for Christ, when we are working on on ourselves. We have to give our best efforts. It's not enough for us to just join church and have our name on the roll and be in attendance for Sunday school and be in attendance for Bible study and be in attendance for worship service. Those things are good and necessary, and we should do those things. But Christianity is more than just Sunday school, Bible study, and worship service. Christianity is a lifestyle. Do people see the grace of God emanating through you when you are at work, when you're dealing with difficult family members, when you are dealing with a spousal relationship. Even if you're dating, it's Christianity at work. It's God's grace manifested in your relationship. And if we're able to see 
the grace of God, the justification of God through your lifestyle, then other people will see it as well. And that's the goal. It is we all have to be mindful that God saved us for a purpose. God saved us to be feet washers, meaning that we we are to metaphorically, uh, when I use the term uh, feet washers, metaphorically leading to a physical uh, product or action. So we, as Christians, we have to show God's grace. We have to show our gratitude by uh, doing something that uh, benefits other people. And sometimes it's both physical as well as spiritual. Christians are the ones who should be the first to uh, supply food if we see somebody that's hungry. At the same time, uh, I believe that there are many organizations that started off as a Christian organization, and now we're only known for good works, and that's not enough. The good works, meaning the physical aspect, should lead us to the spiritual realm. So everything that we do in the physical is really a signpost for a greater message. So as a Christian, I'm obligated. If I'm going to provide physical assistance, I need to also share the gospel. If I'm going to provide some type of aid, I need to look for opportunity to share the gospel. Because just meeting the physical aspect is not enough. And if you want a model, if you want a a, a demonstration, read the gospels. Jesus never performed any type of miracle without a message. Our goal as Christians, our ultimate goal, is to allow people to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So if God can give of himself, which is to save us, then it's not impossible for us to follow similar precepts. Justice demanded that we be punished by God for our sins. His grace saved us from eternal separation from the true and living God. So as a result, the Christian conveys how thankful they are through sanctification as well as evangelism. Through sanctification as well as evangelism. And I love these doctrines, the doctrine of grace especially. Uh, for uh, those of us who have spent years defending the teachings of the Christian faith, I think oftentimes it's easy to get sidetracked into uh, intellectual gymnastics, as I call it. Uh, this ivory tower uh, debate that many of my colleagues have. Uh, as a result, we write books, we go on tour and debate. Uh, atheists and agnostics and neo-orthodoxy, etc. But we cannot lose sight of why God blessed us with the ability to reason. Our ability to reason as, as believers, as Christians, is not to win arguments. That's not what it's for. Our uh, goal ought to be to introduce the gospel to others so they can grow closer with Jesus Christ. Apologetics is not designed to win arguments. Apologetics 
or Christian apologetics is intended by God for us to help remove some of the, uh, the roadblocks that people have or encounter on their way to getting to know God, uh, for us to help them uh, to answer these questions, to rightly divide the word of God so others can have a more clear understanding of who God is and what his message is. Because a lot of people are coming from different backgrounds and some are sincere in their questions and they just want some answers from uh, those who profess to be Christians so they can know God better and understand God better through their dialogue with us. So when it comes to grace, we talked about um, the greeting of grace. We talked about how we are justified by his grace. Then the next aspect of grace is the promise that rests on grace. There's a promise that rests on grace. In Romans 4.16, Paul informs the church that the promise given to Abraham actually rests on grace. So God's dealing with Abraham uh, is, is, is settled or it is rooted on grace. The Christian inheritance or, or what we inherit is shared with the promise given to Abraham and all of the blessings received from God are built upon this concept of grace. God's unmerited favor was the impetus of him choosing Abraham while he was in Ur, Genesis 11 through 12. Abraham displayed his gratefulness by leaving the comforts of his home and moving to a place that had not, uh, uh, moving to a place that had not been revealed to him, which is very important. Again, for by grace are you saved through faith. And through faith we follow God, even though we don't have immediate evidence uh, to support what he's telling us, we must step out in faith. That's what faith is about. Faith is about trusting God. Moreover, the narrative concerning the sacrifices of Isaac further demonstrates Abraham's gratitude. Because he trusted God and had experienced his grace, Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son, Genesis 22, 5 through 8. This is an example of how grace triggers gratefulness. Then there's another dimension of grace, uh, which we'll uh, talk about more next week. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, standing in grace, standing in grace. And uh, this is a, another important doctrine as it relates to grace, uh, how Christians should stand in grace through faith. So hopefully uh, this segment has been a blessing to you. I hope that you've been edified uh, through this uh, time that we spent talking about grace. And as always, uh, we thank you all for listening. Uh, we thank you for uh, promoting the gospel the way that you have been. Uh, we pray that Lord continue to keep and sustain you and your family. But please remember uh, that God wants to use us as vessels, that he may uh, use us as instruments to lead other people uh, to himself, to reconcile the world back to himself. But we as Christians have to do our part in feeling, uh, uh, standing in the gap and being light. Remember to always do for the truth 
what so many do for a lot. And we also uh, thank you all for supporting us financially. Amen. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. If you're hearing this right now, you're probably like, who the heck is this and why are they playing during my favorite podcast? And I get it. I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I do want to introduce myself. My name is Trevor Tyson, and I'm the host of Trevor Talks, where we talk to real people about real topics and real stories. I just want to invite you, if you love podcasts, if you love music, if you love books and love hearing from the people who create it, come check us out at Trevor Talks. Simply go to Google or Life Audio, type in Trevor Talks, and it'll pop on up. Hope you have a great day.